Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Philip Moriarty will join us to discuss heavy metal and quantum physics. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. show. Well, heavy metal and quantum physics may not seem like two things that go together, but in fact, heavy metal can be used to explain quantum physics. In the new book, When the Uncertainty Principle Goes to Eleven, or How to Explain Quantum Physics with Heavy Metal, Dr. Philip Moriarty explores just this topic. Dr. Moriarty is a professor of physics, a heavy metal fan, and keen air drummer. His research focuses on prodding, pushing, and poking single atoms and molecules, and in the stanoscopic world, quantum physics is all. Again, his new book entitled When the Uncertainty Principle Goes to Eleven explores how uh, heavy metal can be used to explain quantum physics. And uh, Dr. Moriarty, we're very pleased to have you on the Grok Science Show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Certainly our pleasure. Certainly a, a fascinating book you've written, uh, When the Assertion Goes to Eleven, uh, a, a, a nod to the Spinal Tap, uh, I, I assume there. And so- of course, absolutely. My, my favorite ever film, my favorite ever movie. So how, how did you come up with the idea for doing this? So I taught physics at university for about 20 years, actually a little bit over 20 years now. And what I was always struck by was I'd... Um, You'd see this, the undergraduates coming in, the first-year undergraduates, and all the way through the other years as well. And you'd see them wandering in Metallica T-shirts or Slayer T-shirts and Zeppelin T-shirts and Sabbath T-shirts, etc. So there's always been, if you think of a Venn diagram between physicists and rock and metal fans, I think that Venn diagram probably is quite a large amount of overlap. So that was the first aspect of it. And then about five years ago, I got involved in a blogging project for the Institute of Physics here in the UK, something called Physics Focus. And one of the, the blog posts I wrote was had that title, When the Uncertainty Principle Goes Up to Eleven. It was about tying together the uncertainty principle of quantum physics with music, but music in a particular form, which is heavy metal. So the link is is relatively actually straightforward. And before I go into it, what I what I like about the sort of juxtaposition of heavy metal and quantum is that quantum physics is is generally seen to be quite intellectually challenging and you know quite cerebral. And let's be honest, heavy metal isn't. So I quite like bringing those those two things together. Well, it's 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 an unusual juxtaposition, but I I, I think one that you know people who are going to look into this say, well, just exactly how are the two being juxtaposed here? I mean- Quantum physics is fundamentally a physics of waves. So once we get down to the the single atom, single molecule, single particle level, we've got to take into account that matter weirdly. And it is weird. We still haven't got our heads completely around this. Once you get down to that level, matter starts to have wave-like characteristics. So you can, you know, fire molecules and atoms at, you know, slits in a screen, for example. And the pattern that you'll get behaves like all the world as if it were light in terms of the interference pattern that light forms. So those wave-like characteristics are absolutely essential to the quantum world. And... Heavy metal 
is a form of music. Some might say it isn't, but heavy metal is a form of music. And what is music all about? Well, music is all about waves. It's all about sound waves. And it's all about the physics of waves and how they interact and how um, they, uh, you know, strike certain resonances and how those resonances work together. So all the stuff that's happening in terms of metal, in terms of the sounds, in terms of the, you know, the sound of a guitar, how you play that guitar, how you choke that guitar, the harmonics you play on the guitar, all of that has a parallel with quantum because quantum is also a theory of waves. Essentially, understanding wave mechanics uh, allows you to understand what's going on at the quantum realm. Precisely. Yeah, it's fundamentally, it's all about how waves, and the weirdness of quantum is all about how different waves interfere whether the peaks and troughs line up or the extent to which the peaks and troughs line up. So that, that's, that's wave physics. That's, that's wave mechanics. And so there are those natural links with music and hence there are those natural links with metal, but particularly with metal in terms of just how you play the instruments ha has got um, very, very close links with, with quantum mechanics. So what is it about metal then? Why is it uh, uh, unique in this way that, uh, that it really uh, lends itself so naturally to, to the quantum realm? The key thing is that actually it relates to the title of the book, and the title of the book is probably the best example here about when the uncertainty principle connects to metal. So with metal, what guitarists do an awful lot is they use the palm of their hand to choke the strings. So instead of having a, a note that rings out, you chug. So there's the classic metal chug that, that crops up in every single song. You know, Master of Puppets does it. Uh, any Pantera song does it, any Iron Maiden song does it, the, the strings are choked and so they're, they're, they're very, very heavily damped to get that, that sort of chugging, galloping sound. So what we can do in terms of the uncertainty principle is we can think about where are the parallels here. So if you let the note on a guitar, if you just hit the string in a guitar and let it ring out, you have a note that extends for a very, very long uh, period of time. But if you look at the frequency spectrum, that, so you think about the, 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 the frequencies that make that up, you'll see that actually when it's a very long note, you'll have quite a well-defined frequency spectrum. So when I'm talking about a frequency spectrum, I'm just meaning those bars that appear, you know, when you look at iTunes or whatever, um, or you look at any graphic equalizer, you see those bars moving up and down, telling you about the different frequencies that make up the sound. So if we've got bass, we're going to up the bass, then we're going to increase the low end, we're going to increase the bass frequencies, the, the lower frequencies. And if you increase the treble, then you increase the, the higher frequencies. So any sound, you know, is made up of those frequencies and a mixture of those frequencies. So if we let our note on a guitar ring out and, and look at it, what it, look at, how that appears on a frequency spectrum, we'll see a very sharp peak. So there's a very simple principle here. Long in time, narrow in frequency. If, however, we choke the, the note, and instead of it ringing out for a very long time, it becomes much more percussive, as, as we do when we choke with the guitar. And then we look at the frequency spectrum. Actually, what we find is narrow in time, wide in frequency. So a, a note that rings out for a long time has a very well-defined frequency spectrum, a very sharp spike, or a set of very sharp spikes, whereas a note that's choked will have very broad frequency components with it, associated with it. That's the uncertainty principle. Narrow in time, wide in frequency, or the greater the uncertainty we have in time, the less uncertainty we have in frequency, and vice versa. So that those links are very natural, and they couple directly into just how we play uh, guitar and heavy metal.
did any of that make sense? <laughs> well, so it's, so basically, it's you, you can't have both. You can you can either have the wide frequency and narrow time, or, or the other way around. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, exactly. So well, it's just two different ways of representing the the the, the wave. So you can either think about it, plotting it out, and as you know, see how it behaves in time, or you can see how it's it behaves in frequency. They're just they're you know different representations of exactly the same wave, and that's. You know that's what what um, the, where the uncertainty principle really comes from. A, an awful lot of, not now, but certainly over the over the years and in the past, I think an awful lot of popular science books sort of misled people in terms of thinking that well, the uncertainty principle is all about if we have you know if we try to make a measurement, then we disturb the system and therefore we 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 can't have accuracy uh, in terms of the measurements we make. That's not really the uncertainty principle at all, and it's really good that something as um, you know, as exciting and as important in our world as heavy metal can, so I hope, somehow get beyond that sort of misleading way of thinking. So what is it then that the uncertainty principle then implies? I mean, we've all heard of it. I mean, what, why is it so important in quantum physics and what, what does it really mean for understanding how things work at the quantum level? So it's, it's exceptionally important at the, at the quantum level. So it's usually the, 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 quant, the, the uncertainty principle is expressed in terms of position and momentum. So basically what it tells you is that if you, if you know very accurately the position of something, you don't have a, a great deal of accuracy in knowing its momentum or vice versa. So that, that the more accurately you know the position of something, the less accurately you know its momentum. And usually that's taken, as I said, to mean what, that when you make a measurement, you disturb the system, and when you disturb what you're measuring, therefore you wash it out, and you can't really measure it so accurately. That's really quite misleading. Actually, as an undergraduate, as a physics student, that really misled me for quite some time. And it's how it's, it's, it's often explained to, to physics students. And it doesn't quite get it, because the uncertainty principle really isn't uh, that issue with measurement. That's a completely separate issue in quantum, and that is a, an important issue in quantum. But when it comes to the uncertainty principle, the uncertainty principle is actually, it's all around us in the world, and it's fundamentally to do with waves. That if you have a, a, a wave that lasts for a long time, it therefore it, it will have a, a very narrow frequency associated with a very narrow frequency spectrum. You can just use a, a small number of frequencies to describe that wave. However, if you have a very short uh, wave, you um, need more frequencies to represent it. It's sort of like I'm talking about guitars, but you can do it just with a whistle. So if you whistle for a long time and look at the, put that on a, a you know spectrum analyzer or look at the frequencies that make it up, you find actually when you whistle, it's a very pure tone, and you find that that's really just one one frequency. But if I do this, for example. So you can barely hear it. Or imagine if I whistle, so it's even less than one cycle, which is difficult to imagine. But So a really, really short whistle. Turns out that what you need to represent that, though the frequencies that make that up, you need a much broader range of frequencies, which I know sounds bizarre, but that's, that's how um, the, the physics of waves works. How does it then uh, play out in terms of what we're trying to do in terms of, say, looking at atomic molecules? Can we look at both its position and, and its uh, momentum? We can, yeah. We can certainly. So... The, uh, once you go down to the atomic level, and that's what we do, um, this, the research group in Nottingham involved with is at the University of Nottingham. That's what we do. We, along with many other groups across the world, is we use instruments called scanning probe microscopes to image individual atoms, individual molecules, 
And yes, you can see those atoms. And yes, they are they are sharp, and often they look just like little billiard balls. So there is this, uh, again, this misconception that once you get down to the quantum level, everything's ghostly and everything's ethereal and it's all probabilities and nothing solid. In fact, often, in terms of the experiments we do and many others do, balls and sticks, those molecules, those atoms, you know, those atoms look like little balls, molecules look like balls and sticks joined together. So it's, it's in terms of the quantum world, it's really how you choose to do the experiment or what you look at to see in terms of whether you see this strange wave-like behavior happening. In our case, and in many cases, we can, we can even kick atoms around a surface. We can almost play billiards with them. We can move them uh, around a surface, get them to hop across the surface. And for all the world, they're like little solid billiard balls. But yet you do the experiment slightly differently. And suddenly they start to behave like waves. And again, that's, I'd love to be able to say, and the reason for that is we still don't know. Even after about a century, over a century of, 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 of ideas in terms of quantum and the quantum physics being explored, there are still key issues that we haven't got to the bottom of. One of them being, the core one being, is just where does this wave-like behavior really, really come from? What is the true essence of this wave-like behavior? There's much to be made about exactly what does this all mean. There's, uh, of course, that the, the famous one in popular culture, many worlds interpretation and all that. I mean, do we do we have basic idea of what does it mean at the, at the quantum realm to have all these different? So the issue, yeah, that that's that's a great question. So one thing that gets my goat, I think, gets a lot of um, physicists' goat, or if I use a, a expression from across the pond, grinds or gears, is something called quantum woo, where there are an awful lot of ideas that um, are out there which are stolen from quantum physics but translated to the big bad world around us and it doesn't work like that there were people i guess one of the key proponents of this is a guy called deepak chopra who really has talked about quantum healing he's talked about you know how we're all part of one big interconnected whole and and you know all you need to do is use your mind and you can connect with the universe etc 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 now, some of those ideas are, I guess, soothing and some of those ideas are quite nice. But the problem is that's not how quantum works, because really that wave like behavior I'm talking about, that it rules when it comes down to, you know, single atoms, single molecules. But the next time somebody says to you, well, actually, quantum physics is so important for our everyday living and um, Deepak Chopra's ideas in terms of quantum healing are, you know, are, are valid best thing to ask them is when was the last time they diffracted when they walked through a door because that's the the the, the key the key aspect of quantum is that wave-like behavior we don't see that wave-like behavior for objects that are human sized or the size of a door or the size of a cupboard or whatever because the all the wave-like behavior is washed out we don't although quantum physics and how those atoms interact underpins chemistry and underpins how atoms bond together it doesn't scale up we, we don't act like waves because we're just too big. Or as a physicist would put it, we have too many degrees of freedom. There's too many atoms in us. There's, we wobble around in different, many different ways, and those atoms interact in many different ways. And all that wave-like behavior that we see at the single particle level for single atoms, single molecules, and small collections of atoms and molecules just gets completely washed out. I'm curious, maybe just to close, do you think uh, if you're interested in physics, you should take up heavy metal? Or if you're a heavy metal person, uh, take up quantum physics? 
Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, if you're into physics, you should be into metal. There's just, you know, there's no, no two ways around that. Um, for all those reasons I said, there are all those parallels between quantum and metal, but also because the music's pretty damn good as well. And if you're a metal fan, yeah, you should definitely be into, into physics. It'll help you see those metal songs. You know, it'll help you interpret, I don't know, Rain and Blood and <laughs> Angel of Death in a completely different light if you understand how those waves are, are you know, resonating together to form those, those songs you love. Uh, that's good enough reason as any to take it up. Uh, we were just talking to uh, Professor Philip Moriarty. He is the author of When the Uncertainty Principle Goes to Eleven or How to Explain Quantum Physics with Heavy Metal. And uh, Professor Moriarty, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed myself. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.